This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Well, good morning, good morning. If you're looking at the background right now, you are probably looking at a strange background that yours truly is uh, now broadcasting today anyway during Coach Hogg's locker room from the Steve Spurrier Grill podcast room, which is where our production staff is located. And through the magic of technology, I'm able to also regularly broadcast from my home studio, but the production staff is always located here in Steve Spurrier uh, Grill. So it's a a neat arrangement, and uh, you can see behind me some of the football helmets and some of the uh, things that are attractive about coming to the Steve Spurrier Grill. It's uh, really got all kinds of memorabilia in it. I'm looking at just watches that Steve got. You, you wonder when you watch these people win all these things, what do they do with them? Uh, I watch the tennis people win cars and trophies and watches and this and that. Well, what do they do with them? And that became, after a lifetime of being a celebrity uh, star, a problem for Steve. He had it all stored in his home. And through the magic of um, uh, thinking and creativity, um, it all became something you can come and see here at the Steve Spurrier Grill. All the visors that he uh, wore, really only one time, I understand. Uh, I guess he did toss one now and then. You may have seen that. Uh, but other than that, you know, he's um, uh, not just got visors. Helmets are behind me. Um, and there are trophies. The Heinzman trophies are here. Um, quite a story on how you secure the Heinzman trophies. I can't tell you all about it, but they're not secured uh, lightly, let's put it that way. And it's really been a a gem of an addition to uh, the uh, Gainesville community in the Salachua County area and the whole state, really. And it's been engineered and uh, the brains behind it, we'll just uh, reveal right now, are none other than Freddie Wiebe, who built the uh, Domino's Pizza Place, uh, Domino's Pizza, into a worldwide number one ranking and then retired, and of course, it's hard to retire when you're a young man. You have to find something else to do and keep you active, and um, fortunately, Freddie and Steve had a relationship, and they got together and thought of this idea of a restaurant. The food here is fantastic. It's it's all fresh, called fresh uh, farm to table. It's fresh every day. It's um, the local suppliers are the ones who supply the raw material, if you will, for the restaurant. the beef, um, the, the, even the vegetables, all that come from local relationships with our local people. So the restaurant helps sustain, a nice word we like, the agricultural community. And you, by coming here, patronizing, it helps in turn sustain our rural life, which you know uh, is um, not easy to protect these days. As I drove down here today from the city of Alachua, I drove through what once was woods, and what is now just um, a field with development. It's the story of Florida. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be of the age where I saw Florida, and people think I'm kind of nuts to say this, but I saw Florida before there was a Disney. And before there was a Disney, and before there was a tollway, and before there was an interstate. And I was very fortunate in that respect because my people, if you will, my ancestors, fished here, in the wintertime, and the lakes were just teeming. You, you could live in Florida. Ironically, they talk about affordable housing and all that today. Um, there's no such thing as affordable housing. Trust me, I've been on affordable housing committees. There's not going to be any such thing as affordable housing. Not the way there was for my ancestors who could come here and literally live off the land. Um, they would get their fish fresh each day from, in their case, Lake Topahatalaika, uh, Indian name, of course. Uh, their, their beef right local, um, raised right there on the ranches uh, around uh, uh, from Yeehaw Junction to Kissimmee. 
And, of course, oranges. I always remember the sweet odor of um, orange blossoms on Orange Blossom Trail, which was the name of it on 441 as you came south out of Orlando, uh, down uh, to 441 and took a left there and went on down through St. Cloud, which had only one traffic light, and all the way to Yeehaw Junction, and you never saw a traffic light there. Uh, so um, it was a wonderful p- place to be here then. As uh, I saw it as a young guy, but my ancestors, of course, came down here, and I have pictures of the men holding. It would take more than one man, two men, maybe three men, to hold the string of fish that they had caught that day. And um, so you had oranges. You could just literally... Put a seed in the ground and up would come an orange tree. And that orange would be the sweetest orange you'd ever tasted. And one of the saddest things I've seen is uh, besides the arrival, I'm not a, 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 I don't have the traditional fondness for the modern world, perhaps, that you do in Florida. But uh, uh, one of the saddest things for me was the arrival, of course, of Disney. Then the arrival of the toll booths and tollways. And um, then, of course, um, the eradication of the orange groves for development. Uh, it was such a profound shock to people of my grandfather's generation uh, that he and I, when I was a young man, rode out to look at the Sunshine Parkway, which was only partially completed at that time, uh, and the overpasses were hanging over 441 outside of St. Cloud, between St. Cloud and Kissimmee, and to our uh, south was nothing but cleared wilderness and my grandfather, who was in his 70s at that time and had been coming down here since the early uh, 1940s, um, uh, said, uh, it'll never work. And I said, why? He says, there's not enough cars. It'll go broke. So he really thought that the place was so remote that um, um, it was foolish to spend money to build a toll booth, tollway, fast transportation deal, the whole thing. I remember you could go from Wildwood down to almost Miami, it wasn't completed all the way, for a dollar ten, And uh, the deal was, I thought, that that would eventually be paid off, naive I, and we'd be able to ride for nothing, but know what the infinite wisdom of the money grabbers did, was they saw, my golly, you know, why charge a dollar ten? Uh, why not just go up, up, and up? And now, I don't go to Orlando much, but I understand it's just riddled with toll booths and toll fees and you can't go from point A to point B without paying. And, um, it, it, you know, production's sitting here with me in the corner. It's a pleasure to be right next to my production guys right now. And, but um, it's, um, it, is, it, it is amazing that... Um, so if you're thinking about growth, in, and I don't think anything could have stopped growth. Uh, I mean, what, you know, Florida... Well, we don't have an income tax. Uh, we've, we've got a very... Uh, we did have, anyway, a very live and let live society very rural, very wild, and very beautiful, very natural. And it's just going to always attract people, even in its same condition it's in right now. Um, and so if you want to think about growth, if you apply the exponential growth that I've witnessed in my lifetime, uh, then you might as well enjoy as much as you can of Florida right now because uh, on up the line, it's going to be intensely jammed up and difficult to I, I, you know, hard for me to imagine it. I've tried to carve out a piece of the wilderness for myself uh, while I could. And um, because it's, it's, um, but I'm getting letters every day from people who want to, uh, what are you doing in the, in the wilderness? Can't we develop this and that? And one thing, no, I'm not interested in that at all. So here we are in, in um, Steve Spurrier's grill. And uh, Steve and I go back to 1965 together. And um, it's, it's really a joy to see him uh, locate permanently here in Gainesville. You know, he could have um, stayed anywhere he wanted to stay. He had a nice place in Crescent Beach. But he's come back here, and it's really a welcome to have him in the community. And, and uh, his wife, Jerry, and his family. Uh, and so, as I say, I've known them since before they were married. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a lifetime of experiences for me that have been, in many ways, um, catch it while you can because it won't be there long. And that's the natural world of the, of the state of Florida. I, um, I hope that we can, and I am an environmentalist, but I'm not a climate change enthusiast. I, I don't believe in that. But I, am, I do believe that the, the people who take the best care of the land are the agricultural people. You can't screw the land up or it won't reproduce for you. It won't give back to you. And um, 
But you know, when you hear the environmentalists say, oh, the uh, methane gas or whatever from the cows rear in, we got to stop. Then, you know, that's off the charts. Um, that's not, that's not the way the world works. So, um, enjoy this world of Florida while you can. If you get a chance, stop down here at, uh, Spurrier's Grill. You'll, the food and the, and the, uh, hospitality is fantastic. And occasionally you'll get a glimpse of Steve as he comes by. Uh, there's some news on the front of the Ward Scott Files, and, and we're going to do our Coach Hogs locker room at the bottom of the hour. Our guest will be arriving, um, and um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit with our guest about some things that are going on in sports. Um, the, uh, you know that the Ward Scott Files has been for quite a while investigating, um, and I can't use the word, um, you know, it's, it's, it's um, something that... Um, um, raises the red flag with the, with the censorship people. But um, that is um, the, the uh, um, <clears throat> well, I won't say it, but anyway, election credibility. Let's put it that way, election credibility. And uh, it's, it's something that um, we've been looking at and has really been bearing fruit. This article just came out in the Florida Capital Star, I want to uh, bring your attention to it. It's uh, written uh, by one of the top writers, Steve Stewart. And now it has been, the cat is out of the bag, so to speak. And uh, much of this uh, is due to the, um, the professional work that is done by our investigator instigator. But I just want to go through this. Uh, Leon County Supervisor Elections, Mark Early, told the Florida Capital Star uh, that he has started the process of removing seven felons from the Leon County registration system. I might say that seven felons that we found, uh, you know, what we found about these supervisors of elections is they don't look. Uh, I don't know what they do, um, why they don't check the rolls, why they don't check these lists, why they don't check uh, who's registered, why they don't check, they just don't, they just bother, don't bother. And uh, it's complicated, of course, by the, the money that's been given uh, by the Zuckerberg crowd. So, um, the, it, we got Leon County, and that's a liberal county, much like this one, uh, with the Democrat supervisors, I understand it, is uh, uh, these seven voted in the 2020 general election, and that's just, I'm, I'm going to show you now, that's just the tip of the icebergs. Um, uh, the, the, the line says that the voters were discovered by a private citizen. Well, <clears throat> we'll keep that private citizen anonymous, who forwarded 12 names to the uh, supervisor's office there, uh, to and then the Capital Star was tipped off to go research this, and it was determined that seven of the voters were convicted sex offenders and should not have been allowed to even register to vote. This is another fly in the ointment here. It is also illegal to register if you are a, a sex sex offenders are low hanging fruit, by the way, because they're supposed to be watched and know where they are and located and all the above all the time. But you see, that's not the case with what we've been discovering. They're just, nobody goes looking. And now, uh, we're not even talking about the convicted felons. The convicted felons are, 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 have to pay restitution. It's a law. And, and they, you know, the, the supervisor of elections do not, been in our experience, not all of them, but the Democratic ones mostly, uh, do, not, do not enforce that law. Does that surprise you? So, uh, a private citizen, we, <clears throat> we won't say who, uh, tipped off the Capital Star about this, and uh, uh, then they began to uh, investigate it, and they have printed this article, and this article should be picked up by other news outlets. You can't get a peep out. We don't even bother to feed information to the uh, Gainesville Sunset anymore. It's all part of the Gateway Network, and that Gateway Network, in case you haven't figured it out, is huge and really is a big um, media uh, ring around the neck that keeps information from getting out. Uh, you just don't. You just don't get it. So um, uh, early now is claiming that his office takes seriously all input from uh, citizens, and that uh, these are problems with uh, these uh, voters who are registered who shouldn't have been. Um, uh, but research by the Capital Star indicates that eight of the twelve voters under investigation were. Here's the other thing that you have to realize were registered as Democrats. Uh, three were registered with no party affiliation, and one was registered as a Republican. And so all public records indicate 
that six voted via absentee of ballots. Three voted early. Only three voted in person. So there we go. What is the, and not only do you have the problem of not checking who's voting, and I've been, I've been, you know, all this stuff that the Democrats put out is it'd be voter suppression. Exactly the opposite is true. I have to tell you this, been my observation, I've been keeping an open mind on this because I'm, I'm researching. I, I really not, don't want to enter with a bias, but the research with a bias. But every time I run across something like this, it's the Democrats who are flaunting the law and breaking it. And, and you know, every once in a while they're Republican, but mostly it's the Democrat. So um, the uh, early said that the Florida Division of Elections, now he's going to pass the buck, if you will, to the Florida Division of Elections, usually forwards names with voter registration problems to his office for review. So he's blaming it on the Florida uh, 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 Division of Elections. Uh, come on now. You're the supervisor. You're making six figures to watch this stuff. Um, but he said um, um, the names he received from the private citizen, and this is a really mouthful here, the names he had received through the private citizen and not yet made it through the process. Had not yet made it through the process. And then he begins to talk about how complicated the process is and how it takes time and manpower. Let me, let me, let me just stop, time out, blow the whistle here. Uh, come on, man. Um, you've got all kinds of help. You've got all kinds of time. This is your job. This is responsibility. This is what you ran for office for. And you're not doing your job. And no, but the point is, nobody's holding their feet to the fire to be sure that they're doing the job. So it, it's uh, it's really uh, something to um, um, it's just a bottomless pit of problems. And nobody wants to admit it. Nobody wants to uh, look at it. Uh, and and you have to be careful about how you talk about it on these platforms from which we broadcast, or those are Democrat platforms, so they don't want to hear it, and they don't want you talking about it. So we're always under. Uh, I, I, you know, my father told me one time uh, uh, that every since he was a combat engineer, he was always under the watchful eye of the Japanese sniper. I feel like I'm always under the watchful eye of the um, these youngins running these social platforms. They're like snipers. They're waiting to pick me off, and. Um, uh, you know, it's it's just a way they've been picking away. They're, they're firing in all directions. You don't understand this. They this is just a part of it. This election process is just a part of it. So um, uh, there's a whole procedure for removing a convicted felon. It's provided for from the voter rolls. It's provided for in Florida statutes 98.0755, and the law states that the state election official shall identify. The state election officials shall identify the registered voters who have been convicted of a felony and whose voting rights have not been restored and make a deter initial determination as to whether the information is credible and reliable. Why should we have to do that? It's one of the things that has been bothering us. Why should we, the concerned citizen, have to do that? And the research team have to do that. You know, you keep wondering where your donations and support for us goes. This is primarily where it goes. For us to cover... Uh, turn over these rocks and everything, that they're doing everything they can to keep covered up. And for whatever reason, either their incompetence or their inertia or, or their lack of wanting to know, you know, it's um, a plausible, you know, they want plausible denial. Um, you know, our supervisor here, of course, it, we got them red-handed. I mean, you went into the jail and out came the other end, a bunch of people who were not supposed to be registered, were registered to vote. Um, so, um, the law states that the state election officials should identify the registered voters who have been convicted of a felony and whose voting rights have not been restored and make initial determination as to whether the information is credible and reliable. Um, if it is determined that the information is credible and reliable, the department shall notify the supervisor and the supervisor should begin the removal process. I don't see any of that happening. And um, um, th this discovery in Leon County, according to... Uh, According to our conversation here with uh, our, our um, particular people, our contacts, uh, has come after it was reported that there were three voters from a Florida retirement community who were arrested in charges of voting more than once. So you remember that story. 
that story was that um, we had uh, um, uh, in, in, in the villages there, um, you know, we know about that county. We know the problems about that county, but that made it into the press. And um, uh, so now we have got perhaps um, some sort of snowball a te a technique going here. Hopefully uh, um, you can help us with this um, uh, from time to time and keep the pressure on these people because they're your public officials. And, um, and you guys tune into the show because I think you want to maintain uh, some kind of rapport with some honest, in-depth reporting, which is what you know, I'm sort of committed to doing with the help of people who give me good information uh, from uh, the research team. Now, on the heels of this, and we have to think that we had something to do with this, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis has proposed election integrity reforms to be considered during the upcoming legislative session. And I'm just going to tell you, the Capitol Star has listed them, and the reforms include, and I have to, as I say, I have to think we have some, had had something to do with this, establish an Office of Election Crimes and Security within the Department of State to investigate election crimes and fraud. That's a biggie. That hasn't been done, um, and, and that, that would make a huge difference. Um, elevate the crime of ballot harvesting to a third-degree felony. We know that went on. Um, and, and, you know, everybody says, oh, well, that's okay. That's fine. All we're doing is becoming the, um, um, Pony Express and bring, no, you're not. So they know that. So you're going to elevate that to a crime of ballot harvesting to a third degree felony, recognizing that this offense is a serious attack on democracy. Um, another thing that DeSantis is going to bring to the legislature is to require timelines for supervisors of elections to clean the voter rolls of eligible voters. That's another one I think they picked up from our investigation. And finally, to prohibit unsecure haphazard drop box locations in Florida. Now, I want to read that into the record so that you've got it, uh, because the Democrats are going to cry out all this is voter suppression. In other words, voter accountability and responsibility on the part of the individual to be a truly informed citizen doesn't matter to the Democrat. Uh, in fact, if you put pressure on uh, the citizen to be that, just that what I described, uh, you're discriminating. Well, yes, you're discriminating. You're discriminating against those voting who aren't informed and aren't responsible and are not accountable. So Steve Stewart is the managing editor and a contributor to Florida Capital Star. Um, this is uh, uh, just come out over the weekend, so I wanted to get it into the public record here and um, let you know that um, um, we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg here. I promise you that. It's nothing that um, uh, the story is just uh, just starting. Jim Murphy says this is long overdue. Thank goodness for Governor DeSantis. Uh, can you imagine how we calculated how narrowly uh, DeSantis' victory was uh, against Gillum? And had not been for Gillum's uh, uh, excursion in the South Florida, maybe he would have, um, you know, or in his behavior in Tallahassee, he might have won it. I mean, locally, we had our own sheriff at the time marching to uh, support uh, um, Gillum. I mean, it, it just, so this was. Florida would have been drastically, I'm telling you, I promise you, Florida would have been drastically different. And you imagine if we'd had the Democrats in charge of the state. Uh, some other things that DeSantis is doing, and I don't have time to go into it today, but I will in, in future shows. And by the way, if you like this broadcast from here, let us know. We'll, and uh, we'll, we'll do a little bit more of this from time to time. But um, uh, it is kind of a quiet drive for me down. It takes a while down through the countryside. But I uh, enjoy being here in the studio with my production uh, people, and um, it's, it's uh, fun. So, um, uh, you know, we, we, we're, going to, we're going to not only talk about the election process, um, but you think about the refugee relocation program, which uh, the Ward Scott Files was tipped off to under Obama. And we found out that Obama was bringing in uh, truckloads and truck busloads and busloads of people who... Um, uh, were being relocated throughout the country who were not citizens. Uh, they materialize into voters and voter base and all that sort of business. So it, it's another story for another day we're going to cover. Um, I'm going to wrap up that part of the show. Um, and as Ray Stern says, if Gillen had been elected, this, um, uh, you know, we would have, well, you, I'm not going to read it all. You, can, you guys can see each other chatting back and forth. Uh, we're going to take a break, maybe a little extra long break because we're going to bring in our guest. And we're going to have Coach Hogg's locker room coming up. My guest is Franz Beard, who's a longtime sports writer here in the, 
in the area, and we're going to talk a little bit about whatever's on his mind, what he's been writing about. We'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files in just a moment. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, R&R Construction, Gators Dockside, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. We are here at the University of Florida, where Albert and Alberta are competing in the Gator Penalty Shootout. Albert is ready to stop the shot at all costs. What a disaster! Luckily, Mountain Law is the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. If you have suffered any injury, do not worry, because Mountain Law is going to help you with your recovery. Mountain Law doesn't back down until they reach their goal! Steve Spurrier here. You know, making a reservation at my restaurant is easier than a Saturday afternoon homecoming game against Vandy. You don't have to call or email. Just go to Spurriers.com, hit the reservation button, pick a date, number of guests, and a time. It's so simple, I can do it. In fact, I just did. Maybe I'll see you tonight. Check this out, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, R&R Construction, Gators Dockside, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. All right, welcome back to uh, oh, the Ward Scott Files, and I'm in the Warthog, in case you don't know it, Manly Command Center, but today it's located inside the Steve Spurrier Grill, and uh, we have a podcast booth here. This is actually where production begins, and uh, we uh, go from here and have a wonderful time. Now, I usually have my studio at home from which I broadcast and production's going on here. Uh, I notice I want to say a good shout out to my good buddy Harmon Wages is watching, uh, we maybe get around to talking about uh, Harmon in a moment. He was a great athlete. Uh, he didn't quite break into the lineup here because he was behind Steve, but he had a wonderful career with the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I'm here with my guest now, Franz Beard, who is a longtime raconteur, sports writer, storyteller, who really got his introduction into the craft from a great mutual friend who has now passed, that you probably were aware of, who won the Pulitzer Prize, uh, was Jack Harston. Uh, Jack Harston was the original kind of lampshade, cigarette smoking, <clears throat> and occasionally a toddy sports writer with a uh, smoke-filled room and the, uh, the deadline to meet and the whole bit. Uh, was a very entertaining personality and 
I want to start off by introducing Franz as God is, that's his alarm to wake up. So he is now here. <laughs> and uh, uh, we're going to, uh, I don't know if we can show him or not coming up here uh, uh, on this screen here. Can we do that? Uh, there we are. <laughs> there we are. Let's leave that one up there for a minute. Um, so we got Franz Beard here with us, and he got his start, if you will, into the business um, by Jack Harson. I want, could you start with that story? Because we got a lot of other stuff to talk about, but that's interesting. Well, I had, uh, I was, I had been working when I was in Mississippi for Charlie Gordon, who was a mutual friend of Jack's, actually. Uh, as Jack once told me, he said, an old timer back when I was, he said, back when I was young. And, um, Moved back here to Gainesville with my family, and I was working for Joe Halberstein at the Gainesville Sun, uh, doing some high school stuff, working with Dave Hunter. And uh, Bob Padecki got a real job. Jack needed somebody to work as a stringer here in Gainesville, and all the good ones were taken. And all of a sudden, <laughs> I got a call on a one night, and I picked up the phone, and he says, Jack Harris, he's a friend's beard. I said, yes. He said, Jack Hairston. I said, whoa, hi, Mr. Hairston. He said, want to work for me? I went, sure, I'd love to. He says, $25 a week, which was, you know, I'm 17 years old, and that's all the money in the world in, 19, in 1969. He says, someone will call you tomorrow and tell you what you got to do. That was my entire interview, and I've discovered, Ward, if my interview lasts 30 seconds or less and the guy's still laughing at the end, I get the job. <laughs> well, I tell you, you can already hear the storyteller in friends. I mean, I'd never met a sports writer who wasn't also given a gift to gab who liked to spin a yarn. And there's so many stories that are um, so kind of behind the scenes or maybe inside the huddle. Uh, some of them we don't tell, but some of them we do. And, uh, but, Franz has got a collection of stories that uh, the experiencers are not available to the average citizen because, after all, as a sports writer, you cover these characters. Uh, does anything come to mind that really sticks out uh, in your years of writing that you find to be uh, something that was just remarkable? Well, the first thing i got to point out before I get into that, one of the things that Jack told me as my mentor, Jack made it a point to let me know there get the story and he said you know these are people who play the games he says so much of the time the score is irrelevant it's the people and i think you know i'm i'm looking at at a generation of sports writers today that have never been taught to get the story they want the sensational thing uh woodward and bernstein in a lot of ways were one of the worst things that ever happened, at least to journalism, because everybody then decided, let's go get the sensational story. And they forgot about the fact that it's the people, you know, and, and that's the thing. And as I've spent more than 50 years in the writing profession, one of the things I've never forgotten is get the story, look to the people. There's, there's, Something that motivated some, you know, we see a great performance on TV or, or at, the, at the stadium, and we'll see somebody making a great performance and doing, making a play that we just can't believe. We tend to forget that he's got mothers and fathers. There's a mother and a father, or sisters and brothers. There's a high school coach that, that motivated him. There was a coach in junior high or peewees that, that, that got to him and, and created this love of the game, the, the, the willingness to go out there and practice and do things that we see. Now, you coached, Ward. You know this. And, and you were there when Eddie McShann was there at Gainesville High School. Greatest athlete that ever grew up and came out of Gainesville. And, and that's with all due respect to a lot of great athletes that did come out of here. But... Eddie was a three-time All-American in basketball, a two-time All-American in football, the first black quarterback at a formerly all-white high school in the South. Unbelievable what he did. Unbelievable what he went through. And this gets to your point here about, about the, the thing that's the side story on this that's remarkable. Jim Nyblack 
Here is Jim Nyblack, former drill instructor in the United States Marine Corps, who by the let's just say that by the time Eddie was a was in high school, <laughs> might have lost some of his felt body that he had <laughs> in his days when he was a, a DI at Paris Island. You know, uh, they called him Biggin for a reason. <laughs> and here's Jim Nyblack, who just totally embraced this kid. And Jim Nyblack did more for to end segregation in Alachua County. Without Jim Nyblack, I, I promise you, uh, the the stories, you know, um, Mr. Butler, who was the first black mayor at a formerly uh, at a at a in Gainesville, in Gain, well, yeah. Gainesville in the South, yeah, you know, yeah. Clark Butler, uh, I mean, uh, not Clark Butler, gosh, I'm thinking, yeah. Neil Butler, Neil I'm Butler. sorry, Neil Butler. Neil Butler, there's so many Butlers that have been famous around yeah. here, here, but becomes that, this happens because Jim Nyblack had the courage to get out there and play a 15-year-old black kid at quarterback, and it had never been done before, 1966, it had never been done. They go up to Greenwood, South Carolina. I was going to get to that story. Go ahead. You tell it. They go up to Greenwood, <clears throat> South Carolina, and they get ready to check into the hotel. And the guy who owns the hotel says, says, I'm sorry, but, you know, you can find another place to sleep tonight, but, you know, his type ain't welcome here. And Jim Nyblack looked at him and said, well, that's just fine. Loaded everybody on the bus, said, we're going back to Gainesville. Before they got to the South Carolina-Georgia line, a state troopers came and stopped them and said, and, and said, well, it's just all a big misunderstanding. Now, I got to tell you, um, Gainesville High lost that game, but they really didn't. Because every single kid on that team, and everybody back in Gainesville when the story came out, said, Oh my gosh, what kind of man is this that's, uh, that's got that kind of courage? Well, friends, let me tell you a couple of things about that. They actually won the game but lost it on penalties because every time uh, there would be a successful venture down the field led by Eddie and the, and, and the, and the good people he had surrounding him. Let's, let's not forget that. Uh, those white kids, boy, they, they played for Eddie just like, you know, they were colorblind. You know what I'm saying? You got it. And they knew that Eddie would make them better and they were going to be better to make Eddie better. And they won the game but lost it on the penalties. And, um, uh, and it, was, it was obvious. And, and, and um, by the way, the reason we had to go to South Carolina to play is nobody big enough and tough enough around here in Florida at that time to play us other than occasionally maybe Coral Gables, but we never went down that way. We usually went north. So anyway, Nyblack had gotten this game on the schedule. And the other thing is um, uh, going out of town uh, – um, the bus was stopped and rocked back and forth by white guys who were angry that the fact that we had this player and done so well. And the biggin got off the bus. Former Marine Corps drill sergeant got off that bus and said, okay, we're going to be that way. We're going to get up. We're going we're gonna to take you with us. And it was really old-fashioned country possible brawl. And they backed off. They, they, they saw that we don't want to mess with these guys. You know, these were people that were I guess in those days you'd classify them as night riders, very, you know, very, mm. you know what I'm saying, staunch segregationists. That, but that's a story. You know, I, I listen to these contemporary issues about bias and racism and all that stuff, and it just doesn't apply to my experiences and what I've been through, and particularly a game like that to South Carolina, having been on the field with Eddie. Eddie watches the show. Eddie is a friend on Facebook, um, and... Um, these guys, they were about playing, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and you're right on the button here. Writing about the people is where it is. I mean, um, uh, that, that, you know, everybody can do the down and distance and the score, but how about the people? Uh, I got somebody here you said you knew from uh, way back when he was a little kid who's in trouble again, friends, uh, and that's this retired NFL legend Lawrence Taylor. Um, yeah. In case you all don't know it out there, Lawrence Taylor was reportedly one of the maybe the best linebacker we've had in the game, right up in there with them, Buck Buckus and the others, and set his own um, path and mark and 
but he was always in trouble, it seems like, off the field. And now he's been arrested. This has just come out in CBS Sports, Franz, um, in Florida on Thursday. Um, uh, he, he's a Hall of Fame pass rusher. He's a long-time giant star. He's facing two felony charges for failing to alert authorities to a change in his address. Now, he's 62 years old, and he pled guilty 10 years ago. I'd forgotten this. Maybe you know about this, Franz, better than I do. The charges of sexual misconduct and patronizing a prostitute. Um, that's the same thing, it seems to me, that the owner of the Patriots did, I guess. But it resulted in him being re- registered as a sex offender. And uh, he didn't require the uh, in, uh, inform the authorities of his new residence, so they picked him up. Uh, you can say that's a cheap shot in a way it is, but he's got a checkered past, does he not? But you knew him as a little kid. Well, I knew him when he was 17 years old. I first met him. I had gone up to Richmond to work with the news leader, and my first assignment was the the East-West All-Star Game, which was a really big deal in those times. Uh, it's sad that they, these kind of games have have passed on, That you know, because so many kids nowadays – early enroll and so forth like that. There's no kids in the summer to play. And college coaches were saying, well, you might get hurt if you play in that ball game. I don't remember a kid ever getting hurt seriously in the North-South game in Florida. But this is what coaches do. And I show up there, and Al Rinaldi, who's the head coach at Highland Springs, and Al Rinaldi coached uh, this guy named Joe Theismann, Coached a guy named Drew Pearson. Joe Theismann <laughs> he, up in New Jersey, and he came back to Virginia. But uh, he, it was an interesting story. Theismann is his quarterback, and he goes to Notre Dame, and the guy he threw to was Drew Pearson. So what does Al do the next year? He moves Drew Pearson to quarterback, and they won another state championship again. <laughs> so he comes down there and turned Highland Springs into an absolute powerhouse team. And... He's taking me around, and he says, this is Lawrence Taylor. He says, I want you to get a good story on him because he says, I promise you, he might be end up being the greatest player that ever lived. And I'm thinking, whoa, now that, that's, that's quite a statement. But then I realized, you know, this is a guy that coached Joe Theismann. This is a guy. Yeah, he knew, he knew what he, he was talking he, about. He, he knew exactly what he's talking about. And here's a kid – from Yorktown, Virginia, okay? And he is as nice and as humble as he can be. He's acting like, oh, shucks, you know, how is this happening to me? I'm just a kid from Yorktown, you know? And then you see him years later. And the problem is, is the kid from Yorktown gets fame and fortune. And people don't realize that all of a sudden you leave college and a structured life. Okay, I'm in class at this time, this time, this time. I got football after, you know, after class. You know, we got team meetings, got team meals. Everything is structured for you. You get up in the NFL and you're, you know, you got to be structured on your own. You're not in there in a dorm you're not in there in a dorm room when somebody's banging on your door saying, get your butt up, time for time to, to have breakfast, time to go on, et cetera. Like that. None of that happens. And he is the perfect example of what happens when a guy leaves that structured environment. He's been structured all his life, but yet at the same time, all his life, he's had people telling him how great he is. And he goes up there in the National Football League in New York, of all places. You know, the the place where there's going to be the most media scrutiny, everything like this. And the little boy that lived within him suddenly got left, you know, in Hackensack, you know. Uh (laughs) And, And all of a sudden... He's up there with things that he... that were beyond his control. You know... People look at these guys and they say, well, you know, he makes millions of dollars and all this stuff. And it's true, they do. But they don't realize, this again goes back to, there's a person behind the score, you know. They don't realize that these some of these kids grow up in the most deprived backgrounds that you can imagine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
and all of a sudden, you know, they go to college and they have some fame, but there's, you know, there's in college, they're just college students, you know, and they got a few bucks here and there. They get more now with all this NIL stuff and everything. But for the most part, when they're in college, you know, they get they get a few bucks. Uh, somebody feeds them, you know, everything like that. Now, all of a sudden, I'm up there in New York mm-hmm. or I'm in <clears throat> I'm in Atlanta or I'm in Denver or Dallas. And what do you mean I got to cook for myself? What do you mean? Mm-hmm. Wh- what do you mean? So, nobody's going to come get me and wake me up in the morning morning and, and I got to get on my bicycle or my scooter and, and go to class. No, what do you mean all this? And this stuff happens. And we see guys change. And it's not something that they really want to do. They may not even be realizing they're changing. They don't. They yeah. don't. This is one of the things I loved about Mike and Marquise Pouncey. Boy, you t- Lisa Webster and Rob Webster down there in Lakeland, whenever there was a, any sign of trouble, they got in their cars. They were up here in Gainesville. Grainsville, there's Lisa Webster grabbing those boys by the <clears throat> ear and pulling them on and saying, uh-uh, you were raised better than that. But not every kid's got that. Right, right. Not right. every kid has that. You know, some of these kids come here, and their mom worked three, four, five jobs. And they don't, and, and that, there was no dad in the home. And we don't realize that stuff. We sit here and, you know, we'll I just aches my heart when I see people booing 18-year-old, 19-year-old kids on the field. You know, when they're professionals and they're making a million dollars, okay, you know, but it, there's still a story behind it all. And we don't realize those things. And, and it's, a, it's sad that we don't have enough people who are writing these days who are digging into that and learning that experience. What 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 motivates that guy? What you know? What motivated Eddie McShan? I tell you what motivated Eddie McShan. You know, the KKK showed up at Jim Nyblack's house, to, and, and were, they were going to stick a cross in his yard. And Nyblack came out of his house with a Louisville Slugger in one hand and a shotgun in the other, and the Klan ran. And you know why they ran? Because they knew if Jim shot him and killed him, <laughs> there wasn't a jury in Alachua County that would convict him. <laughs> We're talking with Franz Beard, who, as you can tell, has got the storyteller in his blood. And that's why I enjoy talking with him uh, here on the show today in Coach Hogg's locker room. He, uh, he got recognized first as a youngin by a master, his mentor, Jack Harston, who was always a delight. Um, and who was the old lampshade-type sports writer smoking the cigarette and making the deadline and typing on a typewriter. Um, it's amazing how many things got done on a typewriter. I don't think today's generation has any idea what a typewriter <laughs> might even look like. But I always like the sound of the clatter of the keys and uh, all that business. I miss that a lot. But I sure like being around the storytellers. And I think Franz has got a point here. Uh, what is interesting is at some point in this world, uh, we all have a common denominator, and that's that we're people. Uh, you know, you can play the skin color game and you can play this, that, one, and another. But ultimately, we're all people. We're all the same uh, genetic uh, time material. And, um, and we just have different routes that we take, either because of chance or opportunity or a combination thereof. And I knew Eddie really well. Um, there were a lot of other guys on that team because I was there for that era, uh, coaching with Coach Nye Black, who was known as the biggin, and uh, who was a larger-in-life character. Um, and there's every bit of everything that, and then some, that Franz has described him as being. Uh, I don't know that those guys exist anymore. I have a theory about this, and Franz may have an opinion about it. Back then, when I was coming along, these coaches had all been in battle. I mean, actual combat battle. You take Gene Ellison over at the uh, university, the head defensive coach, who should have been the head coach of the Gators, in my opinion, in the opinion of some of the players, um, helped recruit them, helped set up, you know, the whole dynamics. I remember the first time I ever heard of Gene Ellison, Coach Knobloch came to me and said, uh, Coach Hogg, you ought to come with me and listen to Gene Ellison. And I said, why is that, Coach? He says, because he's a, a great writer. And uh, he's been, he was in the Battle of the Bulge. And so um, we went over and listened to Coach, uh, Coach Ellison. And um, he was just, he was just a very, inter- but they, all these guys 
brought that battle experience of desperation and never giving up to the players and to the team and instilled in them that kind of combat readiness. And I don't know where we're coming from with now. Friends and I have talked about this. We have become every man for himself now. Back then, we taught teamwork. Uh, now we've got these individual guys. I'd like your opinion. We've talked about it off camera about what's happened to college players, that they can sell their wares really to the highest bidder, Franz, it appears, without even having any demonstrated provable expertise yet. Well, this is kind of like what's going on in the NFL draft, the NBA draft, now Major League Baseball draft and everything. These guys get exorbitant amounts of money, and they've never played the game. Um you know, I, I, I go, great story about Pete Rose. I mean, Pete Rose signed for $1,000 out of high school in Cincinnati. He went down to Tampa in the Florida State League, set a record there, had 30 triples in a season, if you can imagine that. I mean, that that's, that's almost unheard of. You know, I mean, we look nowadays and we'll see guys that may have lead the lead the majors, and they may have nine triples for a whole season, 162-game season. This is a guy that in 142 ball games or 144 ball games had 30 triples. Signed for 1000 bucks. you know, coming right out of high school. And I look at kids nowadays coming out of high school in Major League Baseball getting contracts for $8, 10, $10 million, and they've never, ever played. And – and that's the toughest game in the world to get to the top because there is – Ted Williams once told me, he said, the hardest thing in all of sports is for a man to stand up there and 60 feet away is somebody who's going to throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball and you've got that much time to figure out, okay, where it's going, how hard it's going, what kind of pitch it is, and should I swing or should I not swing? Amazing story. Joe Garagiola told the story about Ted Williams. Said he's a rookie catcher with the St. Louis Browns, and pitch comes in. And he says it's right. He says I could swear it's a strike. And he says, "Come on to the to the blue to the umpire." And the second pitch comes in the same thing. Third pitch, and he complains. And finally, he says the umpire said, "Son." He said, if it's a strike, Mr. Williams will swing at it. <laughs> but, but I can only imagine what a Ted Williams would <laughs> That's say. That's hilarious. <laughs> I can only imagine what a guy like Ted Williams would say about this. About this. But getting into college football, Quinn Ewers goes up to Ohio State. He had a multi-million dollar NIL deal. And guess what? He's up there, and he in August, and he walks into Columbus, <laughs> thinks, well, they're just going, you know, yeah, I got, I'll learn this offense in a hurry, and I'll be the guy. Well, you know, C.J. Stroud gets up there and, and ends up being one of the Heisman finalists, <laughs> and behind him is the McCord kid who was a five-star recruit. Behind him is Jack Miller, who was considered a better quarterback than C.J. Stroud coming out of high school. And they've been in the system. All of them have been in the system for a year. And here comes this guy, and he's got all the millions. And as I know for people I've talked to from up in Columbus, there were a lot of people in that locker room that were not happy. No kidding. And not <clears throat> only that. There are a lot of people in that locker room that had parties when he departed. And he's now he's gone to Texas. And what happens at Texas? Casey Thompson, who had a really good year as yeah. a quarterback, has transferred to TCU. Look at the ripple effect of, of all this. And look at how money is affecting a game that a lot of people say there is no game like football to create leaders, because I, I remember something Urban Meyer once said. Urban Meyer said he can he can spend ten minutes watching a ball game and tell you where the weak spot is. He says if that guard isn't able to make the blocks, he said that's where the where the 
team's going to lose the ball game is because that guard can't make the block and some defensive tackle is going to run through there and have the game of his life. You know, or, or this cornerback isn't quick enough to cover. You know, we go back to the Georgia-Alabama game. Georgia, we're talking about the defense of the century. Well, they didn't have anybody quick enough to cover Jamison Williams. I mean, my gosh, I don't know if there's anybody on the planet except Usain Bolt that maybe <laughs> that's maybe fast enough to cover that guy. But and Usain Bolt, it just runs track, never played football. But you, the money's coming in there, and it's exorbitant, and and it bothers me how it's changing the people, and it's changed as a result of that. Not always changing the guy that got the money, but changing the people on that team with him and destroying camaraderie and team. It's exactly like you said. The game came up differently. Gene Ellenson won two silver stars yeah. at the Battle of the Bulge, <laughs> pinned on him by George Patton. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. And this is a guy that could sit there and, and, and tell kids, and kids were in <laughs> awe of him. And I look at these kids now, and I don't know if they're in awe of anybody except maybe the guy that's giving them the money. I think that's where it's all gone. And um, um, the thing that um, will be interesting to see what this does to the fan base. We've got about, uh, I think, uh, production, we've got another uh, uh, two or three minutes here with our show today. But um, fans been a great joy to talk to. We'll probably do a little bit more of this from time to time because – um, we love to tell stories, and we love to keep you informed about some things you might not be able to hear. There's no way we could cram all this into print, newsprint either, although Fran writes a blog, I think. Do you not? You yes, a, I do. You want to do a plug for yourself here? Well, I, I write at Gator Bait Media. Buddy Martin, talk about one of the old school writers. Right. Buddy Martin's 82 years old and still, yeah. still at it, and I work for Buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well... I've heard about Buddy. I don't know that I've met Buddy, but I'd like to do that sometime. But um, I knew all the – I even go back to the days when I think his name was Jim Pierce, I believe, who did the Here Come the Gators. Was that who it was? Jim Finch. Jim Finch, yeah. Who? who w- Jim, Jim Finch. W- Here come the Gators. He, he, was, he, he was the play-by-play guy for Gainesville High School. Yes, and I knew Otis Boggs real well. Oh, yeah. And Otis Boggs, we used to laugh when I first came here. Uh, Otis Boggs, of course, was on the radio, and the guys in the dorm would say, now listen to him now. He's got something he says that can't be possible. It's a twisting end-over-end spiral. <laughs> well, the, the thing I always remembered was Otis Boggs would say, there's a punt, and he'd say, it's a high, lazy spiral. What separates a lazy <laughs> spiral from one that's motivated? I mean, I never could. Or... or he dives his left to right. He makes a move. He spins. He cuts. Second and nine. <laughs> how, do, how do we go first and ten to second and nine with all that action? Oh, by golly. That was so much fun. I'm fortunate. I've known most of those guys. And uh, Jim Finch, was he was the least looking appropriate person for football. He was a slim guy with glasses and with a big voice. And so he worked out perfectly. And uh, well, a wonderful person to be around. We came back from a basketball game in O'Galley. I was playing basketball for GHS when I'm a junior. And, and we come back, and Jim Finch gets on the microphone on the gr- chartered Greyhound bus, and he sang us back to game. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, listen, uh, great job here with Franz Beard. We had a great time this last half hour. Uh, we'll put this out on the wardscottfiles.com, Spotify, Apple Podcast. Um, and uh, you'll be able to look at it at your leisure, repeat for that when you uh, have the time to take a look at it. There's so many things that uh, guys our age, really, and I'm a little bit older in France. Actually, I think when I was at Gainesville High School, you were a student, were you? Yes, I was. <laughs> you were teaching English, <laughs> and, oh and I think your room was right next door to Jane Fowler's. It might have been. <laughs> and Jane Fowler was my senior English teacher. And <laughs> I think you had junior English. No, I had senior. I had uh, the first year I was there. I had uh, the junior year, and I had Tom Petty as a student. Yeah. And uh, those guys. And then the next year, uh, Joe Hudson gave me the roles of a teacher who retired there who's, uh, and who had um, the room. I think it was A-Wing. It all kind of blends together mm-hmm. now. 
Well, I know one thing, Franz. We didn't have air conditioning. No. No, we did not have air conditioning. No, we didn't. And, and <laughs> in our cars or in our yeah, schools or in our we houses. We did not have air conditioning in Gainesville High. The only place we had it was in Coach Nonblack's office and in the TA. <laughs> now, oh, yeah. I had Joe Lowe in the TA. I love and, Joe Lowe. And I, don't, I do not know to this day how he connived his way into the TA. He and, <laughs> he and Terry Steckmiller were in the Terry TA. Terry Steckmiller, yeah. <laughs> we're both in the TA. Oh, know? we got to shut ourselves off or we'll go on forever. Thanks for watching the Ward Scott Files, and thanks, friends, for coming by. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.